Hey you guys, welcome everyone to the Bible from the beginning to eternity podcast. First things first, I keep meaning to mention this at the top of each podcast and I keep forgetting. If you need a Bible, please email me. You guys need to have Bibles and I will get you one if you don't have one. Email address is lovetrinity123 at protonmail.com and that email address is in the show notes. Okay, last time we read Genesis 6, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Then God said that he was going to destroy mankind, every beast, every creeping thing, everything on the face of the earth. And Noah, because he was blameless and righteous, was chosen by God to build an ark. Today we're going to read Genesis chapter 7. And in chapter 7, God is going to level his judgment in the form of a mighty flood. Now some people think that this flood did not cover the entire earth and that it was just a local flood. I don't think so. This was a global flood. And here's why. All we have to do is use logic and read Genesis 6 again. In verse 11, what does it say? It says that the earth was filled with violence. Filled. Verse 12 said the same thing, that all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth, which was filled with violence. Well, where do violence and corruption come from? Violence and corruption come from people. If the flood was just a local flood and the earth was filled with violence, then a local, smaller-sized flood could never satisfy God's intention. What was his intention again? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, God said, I will destroy the man whom I have created from the face of the earth. The word destroy in Hebrew, makha, it means to blot out, to obliterate, erase, exterminate. The flood was not local, you guys. It was global. Here's another reason. When you read scripture, it is very important to pay attention to words that are repeated frequently. Words are repeated for a reason. It's intentional. And if we're paying attention, we're going to find that the most repeated word in Genesis 7 is the word earth. You might think the most repeated words would be flood or waters but the most repeated word is the word earth. In Genesis 7, the word earth appears 16 times. Since it appears so many times, I think God is making it very clear. The flood covered the earth, not the local neighborhood. Now, people have been looking for Noah's Ark for a long time, and there's an area in eastern Turkey near Mount Ararat where the Bible itself says that the ark came to rest, this area in eastern Turkey is an area which some believe that the ruins of Noah's ark have been found, and it was first noticed in the late 1940s or 1950s. Well, recently, there was an article in the New York Post from just a couple of weeks ago, published on October 28, 2023, and another published about one week ago in the Jerusalem Post 
on November 1st, 2023. These articles mention a group called the Mount Ararat and Noah's Ark Research Team. The team is comprised of three Turkish universities and three American universities, and they have been studying the area. They took and analyzed rock and soil samples, and they claim they have evidence of human activity at that site between the years 5500 BC and 3000 BC. These dates line up with Genesis. If you want to read about these new developments, use these search terms, which are also the name of the article. Search for this. The name of the article is Samples from Noah's Ark Site in Turkey Reveal Human Activity Dating Back to Biblical Era. If you look at the article from the New York Post, that article includes aerial photographs, which are very interesting to look at. And there's another thing I want to tell you about. There's a great documentary I'd like to recommend, and you can find it for free on YouTube. It's called, Is Genesis History? This documentary covers how science intersects with the history that is recorded in the book of Genesis. It covers a lot of interesting things. It covers geology, the origin of fossils, dinosaurs, and there's a great segment about the flood. And scientists in this documentary actually show physical evidence of a worldwide flood. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend this documentary to those of all ages. And I'll put the link in the show notes. But if you can't find it in the show notes, which should be somewhere on your screen, then just go to YouTube and search for Is Genesis History Full Film? I noticed when I searched for it that the first thing that comes up when you do a search is a link that wants you to pay for it. But if you search for Is Genesis History Full Film? You will find it. And to repeat, the film is free. Now, back to Genesis 7. Here's something very interesting. In the King James Version of the Bible, in chapter 7, the word earth appears 16 times. When a word appears that many times in a chapter of only 24 verses, we better be paying close attention. God is definitely trying to make a point here. Now, chapter 7 is divided into two parts. Verses 1 through 16 talk about Noah and his family before the flood, and verses 17 through 24 talk about when the flood begins. We said earlier that the word earth appears 16 times. Listen to this. It turns out that the word earth appears eight times in the scripture which talks about what happened before the flood, and eight times in the scripture which talks about when the flood starts. Hmm, that is very interesting. Eight and eight. Is this an accident? I don't think so. Okay, so what is the significance of the number eight in the Bible? You guys, in the Bible, the number eight symbolizes new beginnings. Oh, wow. There are several examples of eights and new beginnings in the Bible. One of them would be Think of the eighth day as the first day of a new week, a new beginning. And how many people are in the ark? Oh, there are eight people in the ark. And they are on their way to a new beginning. 
God is telling us about new beginnings in this chapter. Okay, other numbers show up in Genesis 7, including the number 40 and the number 7, which we already talked about. But let's go over these real quick. Hey, by the way, if you want to know where I'm getting the information regarding the significance of numbers, I have a set of books called The Numerical Bible. It's written by a guy named Frederick William Grant. He goes by F.W. Grant. He was born in the 1830s in London, and he was a biblical scholar. He was renowned for his studies in the structure and numerical form and content of the Bible. He wrote many books. His best work is considered to be the numerical Bible. This is a set of seven books. They don't cover the whole entire Bible, but I love his commentary. Well, because I love numbers. Now, the number 40 in the Bible represents testing or trial and the hardships that one must go through to become more spiritually aware. In the number seven, we talked about that represents perfection. So let's read Genesis chapter 7. Now, I have been using the New Living Translation primarily when I read scripture, but today I'm going to use the King James because I want to emphasize certain words, especially the word earth, which is repeated over and over. We are going to read about God's mighty judgment, but we know about this ark, don't we? Let's read about this ark that is pitched with pitch, this ark that is atoned for with redemption and the promise of a new beginning. The symbolism in the Bible, it's so beautiful, you guys, isn't it? Now I will read Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee I have seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and the female, of birds of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth, and Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of birds, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in, two by two, unto Noah into the ark, and the male and the female as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, 
the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth, and the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth. A hundred and fifty days. Wow, you guys. God's flood. God's judgment. Before we get into the scripture, let's talk about the word flood. In the Hebrew, it is the word mabul. The meaning of the word is specifically for this particular flood. This flood has its own name. This word mabul cannot refer to any other flood. Does this word occur any place else in the Bible? This word appears only in one other place, and it's in Psalm 29 verse 10, which says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Wow. Okay, let's dive into the scripture. Verse 1, God tells Noah and his family to come into the ark. You guys, think about the ark Noah built for a minute. 
Did it have a steering wheel? Did it have a rudder? Big long oars or paddles? Something to control the direction? Nope. No human is going to have control over the direction of this ark. God is in control. Verse 2. God says, Of every clean beast you shall take by sevens and one pair of every unclean animal. Oh, wait. This is more information than what we saw in Genesis chapter 6, right? In chapters 6, verses 19 and 20, it said that every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shall thou bring into the ark. But now, the scripture is giving us even more information. God says, clean animals take seven pairs, unclean animals one pair. What in the world is a clean beast? Well, when we get to the book of Leviticus, which is the third chapter of the Torah, we will read that God deemed certain animals clean and certain animals unclean based on suitability of each particular animal for sacrifices or for eating. So anyone reading Genesis 7 for the very first time, the reader wouldn't know anything about clean and unclean animals and which animals were clean and which animals were unclean because it hasn't been mentioned in scripture so far. We would have remembered that because we've already studied Genesis 1-6. through But when the reader reaches the book of Leviticus, the reader will see that this is all explained. Well, it appears that Noah already has been given instruction about clean and unclean animals, and he'll know what to do. Verses 3 and 4, God says to also take seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female. And God says, Seven days from now, I will cause it to rain upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I blot out, obliterate, destroy from off the face of the earth. Now, did you guys know that Noah was a preacher? You might say, well, in everything we read so far, it didn't say anything about Noah being a preacher. He was just building an ark. Well... The New Testament book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Wow, that means that Noah, while he was building the ark, was preaching too, warning everyone. He would have said things like, Hey, everyone, listen, everyone. Listen to me. A flood is going to come. God is going to judge the whole world because of all the sin and violence. Please, listen to me. Turn away from your sin. Turn away before it's too late. How do you think these people, living in a corrupt and evil world, would respond to Noah? They see Noah working. Some people think, Noah worked on the ark anywhere from 50 to 100 years. So he's working for decades and decades, building this ark on dry ground. Noah didn't have a shipyard or cranes or a dry dock to build such a huge boat. He had to build this huge ark on dry ground. What did everyone else think? The scripture does not tell us, but remember... At this time, the earth was filled 
with violence and corruption. It is likely that Noah was mocked, but the scripture doesn't say. Is it possible they heard Noah preaching? Maybe. What did they say? Hey, look at that guy. What a weirdo. What is he doing? Building a gigantic barge? For what? Hey, did you hear him preaching that God is going to bring a flood? Hey! Hey, Noah! Oh, God's going to bring a flood? Oh, yeah? Hey, Noah, does God talk to you? Guys, guys, he says God talks to him. Hey, Noah, good luck. Enjoy your big, gigantic boat. Oh, if I was there in those days, and if I was like my old self before I learned about Jesus and trusted him, I would have been right there with that same crowd. I'm a pretty shy person, and I would not have been one of the ones who spoke out to Noah. I would just be silent, flying under the radar, not wanting to call attention to myself, and I would be laughing along with everyone else, feeling the comfort of being accepted by the crowd. I would think Noah was some religious freak, and I bet I would have felt sorry for him for being so deluded, and I would never have had the courage to speak out, partly because of my unbelief and also because I would have cared more about conforming to the crowd instead of searching for truth. Think of the dangers of that, you guys. Conforming to what everyone else thinks, just to blend in with the crowd and feel the satisfaction and comfort of being part of the group, even if that group was going to ultimately be obliterated in a global flood. You guys, you guys, listen. Blending in with the crowd, this is a dangerous idea. And not just for kids and teenagers, but for adults too. Listen to this verse that Jesus said in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Listen to this verse from the New Testament Gospel, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus himself tells us this, Go in through the narrow gate, because the gate to hell is wide, and the road that leads to it is easy and there are many who travel it. But the gate to life is narrow, and the way that leads to it is hard, and there are few people who find it. Now, verses 6 through 9, Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him to do, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were upon the earth. I wanted to mention about the word waters. The Hebrew word is main, and it means water. But it also has the idea of danger, violence, and transitory, meaning not permanent. Waters that are dangerous, violent, and not permanent. Can you guys guess where is the first place we heard this word for waters? Right on the first page of the Bible. Genesis Chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, And the earth 
was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Wow! And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and the sons' wives, and all the animals. Verse 10, After seven days the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Verse 11, The fountains of the great deep broke up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Verse 12, The rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. The number forty, a trial, a testing. Now look at verses 13 through 16. If you notice, these verses say the same exact story again that was just told in verses 7 to 12, that Noah and his family, the animals, entered the ark. This repetition is intentional. This repetition is saying to the reader, Listen, reader, Noah and his whole family and all the animals and all flesh entered the ark. Okay, reader, did you get that? They all entered the ark. And then verse 16 says, Then the Lord shut him in. Wow, you guys, God is the one who closed the door. Verse 17, The flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up. In the Hebrew, these words bear up and lift up have the idea that the ark was exalted above the earth. Exalted in the Bible, exaltation most often refers to the high position of Jesus. Listen to this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, Therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Wow, you guys. The ark, a type of Jesus Christ, was exalted above the earth. Next few verses, we're going to hear the word prevail repeated several times. This word prevailed, the Hebrew is Gavar, and it means strong and mighty. Listen to verses 18 through 20. The waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. This means that the water was at a level of over 20 feet above the top of the highest of the mountains. Verses 20 to 24, all flesh died, and Noah and his family only were the ones who remained alive, and the waters prevailed 150 days. Wow, Noah and his family in the ark, a vessel of atonement and redemption, and God closed the door. They are safe. But what about everybody else? The people back in Noah's time, the scripture doesn't say if they were mocking and scoffing at Noah, but they definitely saw him building the biggest boat they had ever seen. How do you think they would have felt once it started to rain? How do you think they would have felt 
when the waters were rising and rising and rising, when the waters reached their ankles, then their knees, then the waters up to their waists and their necks, I try to put myself in that spot. What would I do? Well, I guess I would have tried to swim to the ark, to the only door of the ark, and I would knock. Let me in. Let me in. Please. I'm gonna die. Let me in. I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, I, I would regret not learning about that door I was supposed to go through. I would regret every minute I spent with the wrong crowd. I would regret my smugness, my laziness. All that time wasted, I would think, why didn't I turn away from my sin when I had the chance? In our modern day, if I was about to die before trusting Jesus, I would say to myself, why didn't I ever pick up a Bible? Because I just, I would never have expected a flood. I would never have expected that I was going to die. Not really. I didn't, never thought about it. I was just too busy doing my own thing. In the New Testament book of Matthew, Jesus was talking about when he will come back. And he said this, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Oh, you guys, I can't imagine what a dreadful, terrifying, sickening feeling that would be to die and having absolutely missed the chance to go through that door. And if I was there in Noah's time and I didn't get to go through the door, the door that God shut, that would be it for me. No second chances, just an eternity separated from God, an eternity in hell. And that's final forever. That's not what I want. That's not what anyone wants. The answer is just to seek Jesus. But it's not natural for us to seek God. It's not natural to pray. We're not programmed to do it. We're programmed to sin. It's not natural to pray. Sometimes it's hard to pray. When I first started trying to pray to God, it felt awkward. I had never done it before, not really. Not seriously, I couldn't see him and I felt foolish. It didn't feel natural and I felt like I was fumbling for the right words to say. And I wondered if this God that I believed in now could even see me. But remember, God knows that no one naturally seeks him. From the very beginning, he has pursued us. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? Did he walk away? No, he looked for them. He looks for the lost. He's still doing it. He's seeking us. He's seeking you. But the more I read the Bible, the easier it became to pray. And the more I prayed and studied the Bible, the more I wanted to read the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, 
the more I began to talk to him just like he was my dad. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's still not easy for me to pray. But it's easier now than when I first tried to pray. You guys, by now we know that there's only one door to the ark. And we know that the ark is a type of Christ. And for us today, we don't have an ark and we are not looking at an ark debating whether or not we should actually get on it. But we do have Jesus. He is our ark that only has one door. And we can't sit around looking at the door, thinking, wondering whether or not we should knock on it. And if you can hear my voice right now, it is not too late. Listen to this story during the crucifixion of Jesus. One of the two thieves that was being crucified along with Jesus, he came to have faith that Jesus really was the Son of God right at the end of his life. That thief believed in and had faith in Jesus, literally, right before he died. And you know what that thief said to Jesus? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember, Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, if you've been listening to the things I've been saying, and you think, yeah, I want that. I want to get into the ark. I want to knock on Jesus' door because he said he would open it. I don't want to go to hell when I die. And I hear everything you're saying on these podcasts, but what do I do? What do I actually have to do? Well, all you have to do is say this prayer and mean it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead so I could be forgiven. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. The moment you say that prayer and mean it in your heart, there is rejoicing in heaven. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining me at the Bible from the Beginning to Eternity podcast. Until next time, remember that Jesus knew you and loved you before you even existed. He wants you to knock on the door. I love you too. How do I love you if I don't even know you? Because you were made in the image of